0: Welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventures, along with Michael Molinari, Ted Robinson, I'm Yogi Roth. Fellas, 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 we got a lot to talk about. Uh, Before we even get into like how you're doing, I think we need to give one team the love that they never get. And it's the game that we're calling. So before the pleasantries, Oregon State, Congratulations. Sole possession of first place in the Pac-12 North for the first time ever, and first place in the Pac-12 at any point for the first time ever, dating back to the start of the 1980 season. Ted, we got the beeves
1: this weekend. Well, here's my here's my thought, guys. This league from the Pac- I wasn't around for the Pac-8. Shockingly, I know people think I was, um, but but from the from the eight to the ten to the twelve. This league has been about passing. I mean, the history of this league is quarterbacks. Yes, great running backs, we know. And there have been great defensive players. But the identity of this league is usually passing. Quarterbacks, receivers. And 2021 is not playing out that way, to me at least. I I look around and go, my gosh, how many teams do we have that are lining up and saying, I'm just going to run the ball down your throat, which, by the way, is what Oregon State did to Washington Saturday. They didn't throw it at all. They just lined up in the fourth quarter, twice went down the field when they had to and ran the ball right. And by the way, Dub, right? Aren't we used to seeing Dub with pretty good line play? Oregon State beat them, beat them on the line. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's great. You know, we touched on this last week and, and I to talked to Mike Parker who's been their announcer for over 20 years and they're just, they're getting over this because as we all know, you could feel it coming over the last couple of years with Jonathan. But at some point, you've got to stop the close calls and start turning some of those into wins. And that's what they've begun to do.
2: They, they lead the pack in rushing. They beat, they beat USC for the first time in LA since 1960. They stop a nine-game losing streak to Washington this week. And oh, by the way, Washington State's beat them seven straight. So there could be three streak stoppers in a row for the Beavs. Uh we'll, We will see up on the Palouse this weekend. It's crazy, so
0: check this out. Um, I think this will blow your minds research wise. Uh, In games decided by eight points or less. Okay, this has happened to Oregon State for a long time since Jonathan Smith took over. Last year, five of their seven games were decided by eight or less. The year before that, five of the 12 games. His first year, two of the 12 games, right? My point is that like, he's year one, they lost big scoring margin was 235 points. Year two, they lost small, scoring margin was minus 16. Year three, they lost small again in the COVID pandemic year, negative 31 was the scoring margin. This year, Ted, the scoring margin is plus 72. So you wanna talk about a build and a blueprint, whether it's uh, you know, USC having to rebuild or programs that have rebuilt like Oregon State over the years past, Jonathan Smith and his staff has been has have has has had incredible continuity, and it's been a slow but steady build. And I think for for fans listening, like this is a blueprint.
1: This is a blueprint of how to build something. Yeah, and it's it's just look, it's great. We all know how how much you want to see, especially the the you know the, the towns that have some history but haven't had recent success. As we all know, Corvallis, one of the great college towns of all time. And that's where you want to see them do this. I'm just intrigued again by the fact that we have teams in this conference that are playing. I mean, it's almost like we flip with the Big Ten. Totally. <laughs> Suddenly we're going ground and pound out here. And it's working for some teams. That's what – and that, and to me right now, I'm looking forward because we haven't seen the beeves live yet. So we'll change that Saturday. But that to me is something that – it's. You know, you have teams that occasionally do that out here, but it feels to me like we have more of it going on now.
2: But yeah. What do you think? Well, Michael? I just gotta add one other thing. What a time to be in Corvallis. Because not just the football team, but the hoops team getting to the lead eight. They're on the field last week. I mean, just it's absolutely the best time to be in Corvallis. And I I guess I'm hearing from all my beaver friends on social and in text. They're very excited. Go bees! Mul- That's all I hear the now. The Molinari
1: special at China D is clearly moving, is what you're oh, saying. China, doing China to D them. is
2: packed. China D
1: is packed. And, and by the way, I have to say, I'm wearing this shirt because I have a very good friend. And for those who can see this, I have a very good friend here locally, Rick Magnuson, a wonderful guy. And he's got his group going to be watching us Saturday in his home. His children grew. And as I've gone through the same thing, children grow and move out. And he looked at his wife a few years back and he goes, what are we doing with our living room? And, and he turned it into a place nice. <laughs> named The Wasted Space because that's what the living room was. I said, that's the greatest. That is the greatest bar name I have ever heard in my life. I am so envious. So he has about four. They're going to be there watching us on Saturday in The Wasted Space.
0: Oh, my God. I, I feel like they should. I don't know the name of the bar on Ted Lasso, but they should call it like the wasted space because <laughs> it's so good. All right. Let, let's talk quarterbacks, fellas, because we've talked about it a ton off air. Ted, you've made the point off, off, I mean, off air, on air here a little bit. Not necessarily even getting into the value of the QB, but let's just look at quarterback play. Let's look at this league right now. As you go into this weekend, there's only four games we know. But if you look at the league, and Ted, you spent uh, a decade-plus in the NFL. We've all been around this, this sport forever. You look at our quarterbacks, and now put yourself back in the league or even like in the perspective of the Pac-10 or the Pac-12 and Rosen and Darnold were both drafted in the same year. Um, what, what do you think of this class, if you will, of quarterbacks? And then, and then I want to give a big-picture thought, because I, I went and studied the nation yesterday. To to yeah,
1: the combo. So, so I'll tell you what I thought, because this was, we talked about this a little bit off, off uh, the grid on Saturday. Um, we have two people with us who played college football, Yogi, as you know, and Sam Polis, who you hear us talk about a lot. Sam is just an amazing guy, great mind, who played at Northwestern uh, back in my time. Uh, and I asked Sam this question before the game in the booth Saturday. I said, Sam, look around the league right now. How many NFL quarterbacks do you see? Like people that you look right now and say, they're going to be nfl quarterbacks we don't know how good they'll be but most recently obviously it was justin herbert before him sam darnold i mean guys that you just know are going to be in the nfl and i'm struggling with it and sam was struggling with it too i mean guys you say for example we've seen tanner mckee looks like that could be a guy but he's very early so it's hard to say slam dunk he's played five games or whatever it is um the importance of it to me is when I got home Saturday night and watched Jaden Daniels. Wow, okay, by far the best quarterback play of the week in the Pac-12, right, it was Jaden Daniels. I mean, he was terrific. And that was swings the difference in the game. Um, and there are other times where we see people flash here, flash there. We have, to me, and this has been now, I think other people are picking up on this. I read a great story on Trojan's Wire about it. You know, more teams than we would ever expect that are unsettled at the position. We're now almost halfway through the year, right? You wouldn't expect to see that. And, uh, and let alone not having returning, you know, the experienced talent, but um, you know, the, the guys, I mean, the ones, you know, look, I think I've been right up there, leading the flag waving the flag for Chase Garbers and, and it hasn't happened this year. And I don't know why, I mean, I watched the game Saturday, Cal's offensive line was not helping very much. Um, you know, that clearly hurts, but there's an experienced guy that you want to say is going to make that run Position himself like a Jared Goff, like a Sam Darnold, like a Justin Herbert, and I, I'm puzzled as to why right now I don't feel like we're seeing that. What do you think, Michael?
2: Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say two things before you go big picture. Herbert last night was incredible. Um, as we're watching, <laughs> as we're doing this on the Tuesday, um, Campbell Trophy and, winner. But I don't. By the way, the the lightning, the lightning analogies to all the game us. I, just stop. It was, I, I just, it does, it does. There's a lot of lightning down here in LA yesterday, Ted. It was a very rare occurrence, but you would think it was like, you know, an eclipse of the sun or something. Anyway, that was one thing I had to say. And then I think somebody said quarterback play was going to be the key to that UCLA Arizona State game last week. uh UCLA ran, UCLA ran for 200 yards, yet Jaden Daniels dominated. Uh, four of his 13 completions were over 47 yards by the way pretty cool so maybe Jaden daniels gets into that conversation about nfl guys but go ahead yogi yeah well it was real fun watching that game
0: for me guys ucla arizona state best for best half of football all season long that i've seen with both teams and offensively if you love offensive football zach hill chip kelly justin fry like that was awesome. The scheming, the designs, how they got guys open. There wasn't a ton of busted coverages. Super creative. Jaden, tip your cap uh, performance of the week. But, but I started thinking on the flight home, right? I'm like, yeah, quarterback play isn't what it used to be, right? You used to say, all right, SC's quarterback, Heisman going to the league, right? UCLA, you can kind of go down the list in this conference and its history of what you've expected. To Ted's point, Arizona, Colorado, Utah – unsettled in you know, the Utah They basically it's kind of last man standing, but still like unsettled yep. quarterback play a wazoo started multiple guys this year. Um, Oregon state, they're settled now, but they've started multiple guys, Stanford, multiple guys in Oregon. We'll see what happens after this bye week last weekend's performance. We'll get into it from Anthony Brown. Not, uh, not his best for sure. But I went around and I was like, okay, let's, let's just see if you could trade with another conference. So I went down the list sec top couple quarterbacks, Matt Corral, Bryce young, I think Matt can really deal. One time USC commit, Bryce one time SC commit. Um, but still too early for me to be like, that's a top 10 draft pick, right? Matt Matt is special with his arm. Big 12, Spencer Rattler hasn't lived up to the gross hype preseason. Brock Purdy's been up and down. Max Dugan, okay. Right. I don't know if I'd trade Daniels, Slovis, McKee, Dylan Morris at times. Like, would you my point is like, would you trade with another league? Big Ten, CJ Stroud up and down. Sean Clifford playing at a high level. Peyton Thorne at uh, Michigan State. I don't know if I'd really trade with the Big Ten. ACC, my man Kenny Pickett lit it up over the weekend. Brandon Armstrong at UVA. He's one of the leaders in the country in efficiency and, and completion percentage. DJ Ungalale um, at Clemson. Wouldn't trade with him. Sam Howell has been okay. Devin Leary has been okay. Talia Tangovailoa, okay. My point in the ACC. And then you come out of power five and you're like Malik Willis is on everybody's draft board. He's pretty impressive. Tanner Mordecai, um, the kid at, uh, Carson strong at Nevada. So I, when Since, I netted Cincinnati's out guy. Yeah, Cincinnati, Desmond Ritter, really talented. When I netted out and said, project what's going to happen at the draft. Right. And, and I said, would I trade our league's top quarterbacks for other leagues, top quarterbacks? I don't know. You could argue the top quarterbacks are non power five players this year right to your point Desmond Ritter was awesome
1: and, you obviously- and that's about the portal right because nobody stays put anymore if you're not playing right away you leave and i, I, I this is the word i've i've picked up on this guys when our in our travels for the first half of the year i've heard two coaches use this chip at UCLA and now Carl Durrell who i was just around for the first time this past weekend player development yeah player development which has to be part of college football has to be Right, you're taking kids out of high school, and you're going to send them off in, in 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 the player mind. Every player that comes to one of these schools is thinking they're going to play in the league, right? for power five league. Every player, so develop them, and man, that's the the. I mean, I know we saw it firsthand in Boulder. That's what the Buffs are going through right now. Two young, really young quarterbacks. Obviously, we saw Brendan Lewis. He's not ready to play at power five level yet, and we understand the, the young man behind him, Carter's not either. But they've got to develop them, right? <laughs> They have to develop at least one of them to the point where they can get on the field and play uh, and and give their team the belief, what I'm saying, not play, but give their team the belief they can win with them. That to me is essential part of the quarterback position. So anyway, back to where we're saying, go ahead.
0: So your point though, on teams running the ball. So if you look up and down these rosters or these teams in the Pac-12, a lot of people are running the quote unquote pro style system. You see how many play action passes do we see from Brendan Lewis from under center turning his back to the defense, right? So it's like, to me, it's weird of like, all right, we wanna develop them. We wanna run these this type of offense, right? We can go to Utah. You can go really up and down. There's a lot of under center stuff, challenging stuff for the quarterbacks. So to your point of developing, I think it's gonna take a little time for guys to really become, you know, the next names in this league versus playing catch. Right. So the argument i always say is can you play catch or can you play quarterback everybody can play catch that's spread it out throw to green grass and just let my guy deal i think Brandon lewis can go play catch yeah. i think that a lot of these guys in, the, in this league can go do that the problem is the systems aren't that and the problem is is that when you're asked to do things that are a little challenging and you don't you're not playing at your best and to your point about the portal you might be like nah i'm out so i think guys are playing a little early in their development whether that's because of the roster and injuries whatever it is but Younger players are being thrust in and the system is challenging. And that is, I think, a reason why we're not seeing special quarterback play in this league.
2: The portal to college football is like AAU to college basketball. Skills aren't being developed because players are empowered to rather than learn to leave. And I think, I think you're seeing it in the skills in the college football quarterback position right now. Like you've seen the, uh, the skills and, you know, the, the average skills in college basketball have deteriorated over the last 10 years as well.
1: Can I say something shocking, Yogi? Please.
2: Good point, Michael.
1: <laughs> that was really a good point because that's absolutely, Michael's is absolutely right. I, mean, I love college sports and I love college basketball. And it really hurts me because I think the one and done rule has been utterly destructive to college basketball for the very reason you just said, Michael. It's no longer about developing players anybody with you know skill set comes in and is, is gone after a year and that's where college football now is heading in this free agency era and at some point the player right to to be free the player empowerment will have to have a governor put on it right I think there's gonna to have to be some sort of a governor put on it so yeah players have rights players can move players can be free but it can't just be the wild west which is where it is right now and I think it is utterly, it's on the path to being as harmful to the game of football as it has been to basketball.
0: You know, what's interesting about that Ted is so if you look at like the top quarterbacks in the country, perceptually, statistically, there aren't a lot of guys who have transferred, right? It's not like Oklahoma where like they had a Heisman trophy winner transfer or a Heisman finalist transfer three years in a row. But I think to the point of what's happening, let's just take UCLA. Let's talk about UCLA and Arizona state for a minute. Both of those schools, Jane Daniels has started since he walked into the campus. DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, really started since his second game due to an injury to uh, Wilton Spade. Those staffs couldn't really recruit an elite quarterback. So I think when we talk about the portal, there's one element of like the exodus of players, but I think there's also like the entrance of players and then saying, hey, you've got like a guy who's going to be a two or three year starter. Why do I even want to go there? Thus, how am I going to really develop via competition at that position, right? So now it's really onus is on the young man being like, I really need to get better, and the staff, of course, to pour into that guy. But there's no the, the Bill Walsh phrase was competitive oh, cauldron, God. and when I was at SC, I'm going to sound old now, but uh, Carson and behind Carson was, and he'll get honored this weekend uh, on our air at the Pac-12 networks in the Utah game, College Hall of F- Football Hall of Fame. Check that out, but. Who was on the roster? Matt Castle, Matt Leinert. Uh, they had a guy transferring from Purdue, the baseball player. I'm blanking on his name right that's now. Part um, too, you know. we were, <laughs> yeah, that's part of getting old, too. And then we were – that's part of getting old, too. But but my point is that Leinert sat. Yeah. And then Booty came in and sat. And Sanchez came in and said, I would want to ask those guys now, hey, in the portal, John David Booty, Matt Leinert, Mark Sanchez, would you have left? Or do you think you would have sat and developed? And then when you played, you played like a top-10 draft pick. And I think you like can
1: – you can sit one year, and let's remember a great name in this league who sat his first year, Andrew Luck.
2: Yeah.
1: Andrew Luck did not play redshirt his first year at Stanford. It was a – well, we, a, that's, a, that's a story for a revisited sometime. But the point is he sat for one year, and I think you can do that. So we asked Chip Kelly on the field two weeks ago. Remember, I asked Chip, how many quarterbacks do you think you can have in the room now, today? And Chip said three, but they have to be spaced. You have your player, ostensibly a guy near the end of his run. Then you have the backup who might be in the middle of his run. And then you have the one young guy, the first year guy that's willing to sit and wait for a year. And that was his formula. And to me, that sounds pretty smart, right, of how you can address the quarterback room in
0: 2021. Yeah, it's the the phrase I like is oxygen. There's got to be enough oxygen in the room for every quarterback to breathe and think they have a chance to play. And so, so let's talk about Oregon. Right, they've had a lot of quarterbacks in that room. Tyler Shuck, he's since departed. Hope he's well recovering. He, I think, a season-ending injury. Um, so uh, f- feel for him. Uh, but they got Anthony Brown in there, and uh, I-, I think it's important to to talk, talk about that position. They got a bye week, and I, I, he admitted um, with you know unique choice of words after the game that he played like you know what. Uh, we all went back and watched the game. He didn't play like he had played in previous weeks. I don't want to say the word he used, because I won't go there, but he did not play. Now, I think it's fair to talk about. Like, they lost their OC, Joe Moorhead. He's recovering. Uh, it's Tuesday, but he's still in the Bay Area, I believe, recovering from what he had to go through over the weekend, non-COVID illness. And I just think that's a bigger deal than probably was made out to be, necessarily nationally. But, but let's just stay with the quarterback thing before we get to Joe Moorhead in Oregon overall. What did you guys think about his play? What do you think Oregon's going to do at a critical moment in their season with the bye week? Well, the
1: biggest thing I would jump in right away is, see, this goes into my point. You're Oregon. You should not have to go to the portal to get a one-year quarterback. Uh, just come on. Your program, the stature of your program, you have to have a quarterback room. Uh, that's just my view of it. Um, the position's too important. The stakes are too high to bring in a one-and-done kid and say, run it. Run it for me, and I understand he's got experience. We all know that, but I'm just that. That to me, so absent that, I, I'm personally was was watching like we all did after the fact, and I. That's why I ask: How important is the loss of Joe Moorhead on game day? Because they've had the game plans put in, play sheets set. Right, he he goes down. Set from what we understand, he goes down Saturday morning. Play sheet set. Um, now in the heat of battle, it's the calling obviously, and they did not manage the clock well at the end of the game. They didn't. So I'm, that's where I'm coming back to you, Yogi. So how important is that loss of Joe Moorhead on game day?
0: Yeah, I think I think fundamentally the structure of the play calling, um, it's not as important as you think because your point, it, it's all done, the call sheet, the situation. Yeah. It's not like Mario Cristobal doesn't know this offense and Jim Masters has been around forever in offensive football. Uh, but I do think the little things of when a game gets tight, And that quarterback coach, which was Joe Moorhead, quarterback, of course, Anthony Brown, those little dynamics, the little note, maybe on the option, hey, man, you know, pitch it. They're crashing down. Like, we don't know the communication that happened at the end of the first half. We don't know even what it was at the end of the game. I went down and went through their drive. I counted over 70 seconds that were available if they milked the clock all the way down. You know, I don't think that's on the OC necessarily. I think that the whole staff is communicating that to a degree. Uh, but I do think if you looked at the micro version of it, uh, it's fair to, to, to note that as a big deal on the game. And I think for the CFP yes. committee, when they look at that, is a big game. And, and to your point about the quarterback, Oregon actually has the deepest quarterback room in the league. So that's what's interesting. And they brought in Anthony Brown, what, two-plus years ago now. Uh, they had Tyler Shaku. who they thought was going to be the guy. They had Robbie Ashford, who's the dual-threat, dual-sport athlete. Um, he was a one-time commit to uh, Ole Miss when Rich Rodriguez was the offensive coordinator. They, they have some talent there. Um, so to your point of like, or to our point of like oxygen in the room, like n- not a ton of it there. So I'm, I'm curious. They brought in Ty Thompson, top 10 quarterback, top five quarterback in the country in high school two, or a year and a half ago. I'm curious to see what they do. Um, you know, we haven't called a game yet there. Uh, at times, they look like a really confident team. I believe in Anthony Brown as, like, all the intangible sides of him. But he missed some things in the game that I think it's fair to point out. And, and he pointed out immediately afterwards.
2: Block management, very poor, for sure. I think yes. some fans want to point the finger during the last drive Stanford had. But it's really about what happened prior to that that probably caused some of the game. Um, side note, Ted and I were in Smashburger in the Denver airport and the guy wouldn't change it to ABC for the lack of receivers or something. So you know what I did? I took my computer out and in about 16 seconds, I had ABC on my computer and watched. It's it's really amazing. Streaming. Believe in it. Um, and then
1: YouTube TV. Thank you, Michael. Yes. Okay. So,
2: but I'm, I'm going to flip the script
1: here guys, because I watching this game and uh, yes, I understand. We we all know. All right, clock management on that last drive for Oregon wasn't optimal, and I've made my point about the quarterback position. But to me, I'm not feeling good if I'm Tim DeRue this week. I, you Yogi, you go back and watch the last drive for Stanford. You want to talk about pitch and catch? Yeah, what it was like watching UCLA against Fresno State. They were backing 10, 12 yards off the line. The completions were way too easy. And you want, if I'm an Oregon fan, and I know the Oregon fans are all furious about the last flag, and we can all, I think, have a pretty, (laughs) we may have a consensus on the validity of that flag. Put that aside. Stanford was at its four-yard line, second down and 80 from their own four-yard line. And number zero, the DB for Oregon, is playing 12 yards off the line of scrimmage, John Humphreys runs an easy little in route off the line of scrimmage, free run, catches the ball, and then zero doesn't really close on him very hard. Humphreys ends up getting 20 yards. Yeah. You have him at the four yard line. That's it. You knock him out right there. That to me was the game. That's on the defense. I mean, yes. And then there was the targeting call on Thibodeau and another roughing call on the other defensive lineman. Um, and those hurt. Those really hurt. But you can't let them out from the four yard line. What are you playing soft from the four yard line for?
2: Yeah. Or you go was, to your promo, Yogi. Yeah. One know, nugget. Fourth win for Stanford versus the top 10 Oregon team since 2009. How about that? Yeah, Four times since 2009, Oregon kind of taken care of by Stanford. It's been fun to watch those two teams play.
0: Um, all right, before we get to our next topic, because it's going to be Stanford ASU on a Friday night, so get your thoughts ready. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about our partners here at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet BetRivers, now is the time. They're offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is they require one play through to turn your bonus into cash money. They got a new rush pay instant approval element to them, so withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and much more reliable. Football season, I can't believe it, fellas. We're almost at midseason. It's going by way too fast, it's kind of like our kids growing up. Anyway, get out on the action. Go to BetRivers.com today. Download the BetRivers iOS app. Of course, got to be 21 years or older. And if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. So here we are, courtesy of our friends at BetRivers Sportsbook. It's Ted, it's Michael, and Yogi. It's a Pac-12 adventure. Um, Friday night, it's going to be interesting. Hey, we all watched David Shaw's press conference post game. He talked about disconcerting signals, um, and he wanted some clarity on that. Uh, We weren't there. I couldn't hear the TV copy necessarily, but a dramatic amount of false starts for a team at home, um, obviously in in Stanford in that regard. There will be major emphasis, as you might imagine, heading into the game this weekend. Going up against one of the better defenses in the country, Antonio Pierce shutting down UCLA and Chip Kelly in the second half. Got to give their defense credit, uh, in my opinion, Uh, after that win. And now they get a game that I know has been circled on the calendar. This is a unique matchup. And here comes Stanford with some confidence. They beat SC. We obviously talked about Oregon. They've rebounded from that opening season loss. Arizona State seems to have gotten the penalty element cleaned up. And Jaden, you know, as player of the week in this conference this past week, looks all the part of the top quarterback in this league. What do we think about this game on Friday night?
2: I'll go first. I just think, Circling back to our quarterback conversation, Tanner, Jaden, one of these guys, this is their chance to be crowned the quarterback of the pack. So that's what it's a simple one for me. If I'm, if I'm producing the game, it's all about the two quarterbacks and you know, which one's going to step up and lead their team to victory and kind of take, take charge of this conference.
1: All right. Also, Michael, I wish you were producing the game. Uh, <laughs> quick, quick aside the stanford oregon game uh, uh, watching the, uh, we we i saw all the social media stuff about it so i went back and watched it when i got home it was substandard the, the conference deserves better than that from a from a partner that was just the field at stanford and we were there the previous week you can watch our tape of our game the field at stanford's beautiful always has been it's like the rose bowl field it's gorgeous and On this Oregon-Stanford game this past Saturday, the field looked like a moonscape. What is wrong with this? And then there was missed plays by cameras, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just disappointing because the league fights enough perception challenges across the country anyway when you have a nice window. I mean, that's a 3.30 Eastern time big window game that the presentation of it was just substandard. Now, having said that, Arizona State ran 51 plays on Saturday and scored 42 points, okay? (laughs) So those That number is not supposed to happen. So yeah. that's the challenge for Lance Anderson and the Stanford defense. Now going down there on a short week, if Jaden can have that kind of explosive play weaponry again, we've talked about waiting for a wide receiver there. Ricky Pearsall jumps out Saturday night. He's the big play guy for them. Uh, and then on the other side, UCLA doesn't score a point in the second half on their home field. And that's stunning. That's stunning, and uh, you do have to step up and say, "Hey, whatever ASU did on D, man, give them credit because uh, that's a that's just so." The, to me, those are the two big things that that Stanford faces going down there.
2: Looks like ASU won the second half adjustments in that game. Yeah, and you know, Chip was asked about
0: it after the game. There were some penalties that definitely hurt them in terms of momentum, but it it was weird. And I thought also the way Arizona State played at the line of scrimmage as the game went on and also took advantage of matchups. Kenny Churchwell, uh, he didn't really go. Like he kind of got going at safety. So they were down two safeties again and the double moves, Jordan Porter on a safety, big play on the first drive of the game. Uh, All the, all the plays they were referencing were were impressive and then able to run the ball late in the ball game. Uh, It was impressive. And Jaden, the way they used him, if they, that's the question I would have for Lance Anderson. How are you going to stop Jaden's legs? It was QB designed runs. It was zone read and him keeping it. It was him tucking it, which we've seen him since his freshman year. That to me is why I give ASU the nod in this game is the threat of him. Yeah. I don't care who you spy with. I think he's going to be a better athlete than them. So the scheme of this one on third down is what, if I was calling it, Michael, and you were producing, I'd be like third down. Let's see what both teams are doing to the respective quarterbacks.
1: Yeah. Hey, and I think we should, you touched on Yogi, and day, watching, and it wasn't just the Oregon-Stanford game to me, but there were several other games I watched that feels like there's an inordinate number of false starts. Yes. And we, look, I mean, I'm going to be honest here, we don't have a ton of places where there's overwhelming crowd noise, where it's smothering crowd noise. And certainly the Oregon-Stanford game did not have that, okay? So, David Shaw raised the issue after the game, which has, to me, there is some explanation because, again, you listen to announcers and they're all going, in the Oregon-Stanford game, they're like, this is out of nowhere. Instead of stopping to think, wait a minute, there must be something going on here because it isn't tremendously loud in there. What's happening? Well, clearly in David Shaw's world, Oregon's defense was (laughs) issuing disconcerting signals that were causing Stanford on that last drive to end up backed up to their four-yard line. So that's something, you know, how does that get policed And does that get policed during a game?
0: It's supposed to. I know that. I mean, we've talked to the officials. A lot of times you see it with teams that clap, right? You would hear, you know, a linebacker do that or a D lineman. Or sometimes when you see D lineman shift, they'll yell something. I don't know what was happening, but we've called David Shaw games for a decade plus now. We haven't seen him that animated. Right. Consistently in a game. So there's something there. Um, All right. I want to spin it forward to... uh, the rest of the games. It's not a big slate this weekend. Four teams have buys and they all need them. UW needs the buy. Oregon needs the buy. Cal needs the buy. Colorado, we know, needs the buy. And, and there's an intriguing storyline around every one of those teams when they come back. We'll touch upon that next week gearing up for their game coming off their bye week. Um, we talked about the Beeves and Wazoo. I, I want to give a little bit of love to Washington State's defense. Forever, this is known as an offensive school right, from Mike Leach, I mean, you can go all the way back in the day, right, um, I just think that what Jake Dickard is doing, I sent you guys 52 plays on it, it's really impressive, not only pre-snap a move in their D-line, but he's really trying to confuse the quarterback, it looks like six guys are coming, three guys come, it looks like three guys are coming, five guys come, linebackers, defensive linemen, Willie Taylor, I feel like he's been on our boards for games for like a decade, Ted. And this guy is playing, you know, impressive football coming off the edge, a really athletic edge rusher. I think that's going to be the storyline in this game. If they can slow down the running attack of the Bees, and I think Oregon State should just run the ball with their two tight end set, just pound the rock. But if they struggle doing that, I wouldn't be shocked if Washington State won this ball game. Based on what we saw Chance Nolan do last week against UW, he did not look like the player against USC. Uh, so Jake Dickert, I, w- I want to tip my cap to him. That, that's one of the things I'm really looking forward to watching on Saturday.
2: I can't wait to just ask him about his journey from yeah. the Division three through. I was looking through the list of schools he was assistant at, and I don't know if I can tell you where two of them are. Um, it was pretty amazing. Um quite a journey I the numbers for that defense they held Cal Cal to three for 15 on third down four sacks seven tackles for loss uh when is the last time as you said Yogi the first thing you say about a Washington State win is you talk about the defense I I don't remember Come on. Oh, I know. I know. Grinchy. 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 It on. is since the days of Grinchy. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I set you up, but I didn't even mean to,
1: Ted. <laughs> uh, the, we're talking about the one year that uh, Washington State, just about four or five years ago, Alex Grinch was their DC and did a terrific job. He did it. He was the one, as you reference, Yog. that also that year where you actually went to Washington State and talked about their D. They were really good that year. Um, and so Hercules,
2: that, I believe Hercules involved there. Mata Hercules, Mata off, exactly. oh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, so watching, watching our game back, uh, Shane Vereen worked the game for our network with Guy Haberman and Shane made the point point blank. He said best unit on the field has been the Washington state defense. And it was really the defensive front to me. They just whipped Cal's offensive front. That was head to head. Washington state's defense wins, wins that battle. And that determined the game. So you're, you're right. Yo, if they, you know, I don't. We haven't seen Oregon State yet, but I don't believe anybody has really tried to make Chance Nolan beat them through the air. That has to be like the, the simplified version of how Washington State approaches this game, don't they?
0: A one one thousand percent. I went back to just look at the numbers. Um, l- rushing yards. Let's just look at Oregon State on the season. Okay, Purdue seventy eight made a quarterback change. We could argue that that wasn't who this team is today. Hawaii, 256 yards on the ground. SC, we know that. 322, they dominated. UW, 242 yards on the ground in that game. And there weren't a ton of like big, explosive, dramatic plays. Uh, it's just who they are. So, yeah, I, I'm Oregon State, that's what they got to start with. Can it set other things up? We'll see. If it gets slowed down, what can Chance Nolan do? And let's not not give Wazoo's back end some love. Daniel Isom, he's got a chance to be an all-conference player. He was all over the field for Cal and a little nugget for us. In this defense, in this Jake Dicker defense, every person who's played the position of Daniel Isom has been an all-conference player, wherever he's been. So that is the key. That will be the guy that I circle all day long, number three. Uh, So looking forward to that. Um, All right, let's keep it moving here. Um, At night, Utah, they've had a bye. So much love we're sending after the passing of Aaron Lowe, Kai Whittingham. If you haven't watched his press conference, I highly recommend it. It was incredible in just how he shared what his team is going through uh, earlier this week. They come to LA. They haven't won in LA in a long time. There's going to be a lot of emotion. Uh, I hate to say this, but Utah, to a degree, they know how to handle tragedy. How sad is that that we have to say that? Um, But they've been through it, obviously, with the passing of Ty Jordan. Now they play an SC team. That you know they they played Colorado and they got their swagger back. They simplified their defense. Drake Jackson looked the part. Drake London, to me, Ted, in two weeks before that Notre Dame game, we might say the H word about his name. It might be worthy of a little Heisman dialogue. I mean,
1: forty-eight dominant. catches in five games. He's in the mix right now. London
2: calling. London calling. <laughs> exactly. Um, so just, just real Strummer. quick, hang on. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: what, what what do you? Ex- I
0: guess I guess the question is, Michael, I'll start with you. Like, what do you expect? Like what do we expect from this game?
2: I I expect Utah to come out incredibly focused and motivated. And I like you said, I think USC got got their swagger back. And I think it's really gonna be about can the Utah defense slow down. You're not gonna stop them, but can you slow down Drake London? Colorado could not. Um, by the way. Drake London 9 catches Saturday, the entire Colorado offense 10. Kind of the narrative continued. So, can Utah slow down Drake London? If they can, they've got a chance. And does the U- USC defense build on what they accomplished at Colorado? And those those are two questions. If if the if USC cannot stop the Utah run, I think it's going to be difficult. But if, if Utah can't stop London, I think it's going to be difficult for them. So I think those are the keys for me going in that game.
1: Um, let me ask you guys on Saturday in Boulder, did Slobus get hit? Can't remember. Not one. Thank you. I don't think There's, so, your, yeah. there's your way. I mean, if you're Utah, I mean, you can try what Oregon State tried. <laughs> As we saw a couple of weeks ago, they just held London on every play, and he still caught 10 passes. I mean, Oregon State won the game, but London had 10 catches. To me, the – the first place I would start personally would be, you've got to find a way to get some pressure just to get us off his timing. It's Saturday, sadly for Colorado, he didn't get hit. He never got pressured kind of a few times he had to slide. He slid and found people. So I I would think, um, and I'm not sure again, because we haven't seen Utah in person, but can Utah find a way to just to throw Slovis off his timing?
0: Yeah. Mika Tafua and the edge. That'll be the matchup him against the tackles they don't have Leky Fotu, but I'm sure Keenan Slovis remembers that remember that two years ago
1: <laughs> yes lucky
0: Fotu fell on top of him he was done for the night in came their backup they win he's on the set with Reggie and Urban and everybody post game it was uh it was quite the scene uh I, I think in this game there's there's two things I'm looking forward to I reference Mika Tafua the second one is Utah their mindset is we're gonna play man coverage Clark Phillips is their best corner he was an all-everything player, five-star recruit, biggest recruit they've had, similar to Jalen Johnson, who's now playing for the Bears on Sundays. Do they say we're going to go play Drake London Man-to-Man? Or do they say, you know what, guys? Like, that hasn't worked for anybody. Let's try to just take him out and give him a little extra attention. That's what I'm going to be looking at. Um, I think if SC scores, uh, they're, they're if they have success early, they're going to win this ballgame. Uh, I think it'll be really emotional early on, but I think SC, what we've seen is the better team. If they can get this win into a bye week, Notre Dame's after that. It'll yeah, be interesting.
1: And, and can USC follow up what they did in Colorado? Now, again, Colorado's not in a great place right now, but USC ran the ball, ran yeah. the ball, and ran it enough to give their offense balance. Can they do that against Utah?
0: Yeah, and, it, and schematically was was fun to watch that. So there's, there's a lot to talk about in that game. Um, before we move on here, uh, condolences, Dante Williams. His father passed away. Uh, Is a reason why he left. uh, One of the reasons why he left Oregon to come to USC uh, was to be closer to his dad and around his family and uh, glad his dad got to see him, you know, be the USC head coach. Uh, So lots of love to him and his family. Uh, All right. So the nightcap, we'll just rip through this one. We've talked about it enough a little bit already. UCLA, Arizona coming off a bye looking for their first win. Jordan McLeod sounds like he's the guy. Uh, How does he deal with the movement of UCLA's defense and how did the Bruins respond? And of course, Jed Fish, the one time interim head coach at UCLA. So a lot of storylines in that regard. Um, All right. I know we've gone over a little bit, uh, but we're going to get into a a really fun conversation, Michael, with you. The the humanity moment of the week in a minute. But I want to let everybody know about the Field of 12 Media. It's a new podcast and digital media network. It covers college football by the people that know it best it's brought to you by shoot your shop productions the folks behind the field of 68. so the field of 12 it gives you insight into the game we all love by people who have literally lived it in so many forms or fashions in the big 12 it's trevor knight and bryce petty and sark's got texas going and yes texas is still in the big 12 as we know uh joshua perry christian hackenberg are covering the big 10 Christian Hackenberg, I know he was fired up watching Penn State over the weekend. Uh, Max Starks, Clint Sterner, own the SEC. It's Bama and Georgia. They own the SEC as well. Florida still struggling. Big win by Kentucky. we got Harry Douglas and Cody Sensenbaugh on the ACC. You better be talking about the Pitt Panthers and Cody Pickett, or I'm going to unsubscribe. And, of course, we'll be here every week to to be your go-to source in the Pac-12. So check
2: out all the links below to find the rest of our shows. The Field of 12, or college football. Michael. Take it away. Well, we do, we've just been talking about it. The, uh, the swagger and the turnaround for USC was led by two Drakes, uh, London on offense, Jackson on defense. But the theme for the remainder of the season for the Trojans might come from a third Drake, the one who doesn't need a last name, the Canadian rapper, singer, songwriter, actor, uh, wrote, and I know a, a song Ted loves, Hell Yeah, F and Right, the 2012 hit. I learned working with the negatives – could make for better pictures. The negative USC season well documented, but the better pictures we saw Saturday. Drake Jackson, his remarkable fluid fluidity on the fumble recovery and two sacks. Drake London, his ability to make catches when everyone in the stadium knows that they're going to him can be amazing. But the picture I'll remember, the London leap. Three Colorado players hit him while he's airborne. He lands and somehow he keeps running. It was one of the coolest things I've seen this college football season. You won't see it on the highlight tape, but remarkable. Uh, But the most appropriate example of working with the negatives to make a better picture, nothing to do with what happened on the field. Earlier in the week, offensive coordinator Graham Harrell shared with us that after two years of trying to adopt a child, he and his wife, Brittany, were blessed with the miracle of baby Mia coming to their lives in late August. Hopefully by allowing us to share that story the Harrell's gave us, gave hope to those navigating adoption or fertility issues, that the potential payoff is worth the sacrifice. After the game on the way out, I ran into coach Harrell. I didn't say anything to him except you have a beautiful daughter. He immediately broke into a huge smile with a look of pride, joy, and humility said, thanks. I know. Amen, man. That was a great moment.
0: I remember you walking over to him, and uh, thanks to his family for letting us share that story. Okay, uh, lots of stories to share here on Ted and Yogi's pac Adventure, courtesy of our friends at Bit River Sportsbook. Enjoy the weekend. There's so many fun storylines as Pac-12 football continues on as well as around the rest of the country. Stay safe. Peace.